Welcome to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds, a weekly podcast for pharmacists, physicians, physician assistants, and nurse practitioners who are interested in learning more about clinical pharmacology topics. I'm your host, Garrett Schramm, Director of Pharmacy Education and Academic Affairs at Mayo Clinic. To claim pharmacology CE credit or to get a copy of presentation slides, visit ce.mayo.edu slash pharmacy podcast. If you recall learning about side effects of oncology medications in your pharmacology class, you'll likely remember that certain chemotherapy classes like anthracyclines and HER2 receptor antagonists can cause cardiotoxicity. In 2020, the American Heart Association provided management recommendations to synthesize strategies stated amongst American and European societies regarding cardiotoxicity management due to chemotherapy agents. The 2022 American Heart Association scientific statement also provided additional strategies to consider. Joining us today is oncology pharmacist extraordinaire, Dr. Uzo Abadjue, to review literature exploring current treatment options and management strategies for patients with chemotherapy-induced cardiotoxicity. I hope we all found ways to avoid toxic situations in our lives, but if we do happen to encounter toxic situations, we need to equip ourselves with the tools to manage them. Many chemotherapy agents exhibit cardiotoxic effects that require our attention. Today, we will explore the management of cardiotoxicity as strategies have been introduced in recent years with multiple cardio-oncologic guidelines. The objectives for today will include discussing manifestations, diagnosis, and classification of chemotherapy-induced cardiotoxicity, identify causative oncologic agents responsible for cardiotoxicity, and outline strategies for cardiotoxicity management due to oncologic agents. Let's start off with the patient case. KW is a 42-year-old female with newly diagnosed HER2-positive hormone receptor-negative breast cancer. She has a past medical history of hypertension, diabetes, and depression. And at baseline, she has a left ventricular ejection fraction of 65%. Now we'll get into understanding cardiotoxicity. So cardiotoxicity is an all-encompassing term, um, and it includes hypertension, vasospasms, AFib, QT prolongation, as well as acute heart failure. When cardiotoxicity is mentioned, the first manifestation often considered is cardiomyopathy. For the purposes of this discussion, as I further discuss cardiotoxicity, I'll be referring to cardiomyopathy. Cardiomyopathy induced by chemotherapy, it presents as left ventricular systolic dysfunction or heart failure. And this is defined as a left ventricular ejection fraction decrease of 10% or greater to a left ventricular ejection fraction value less than 50%, with some current updates um, mentioning 53%. There are a number of risk factors associated with cardiotoxicity. The first, including cumulative doses. As patients are on increased doses of cardiotoxic agents, there is an increased risk for that cardiotoxicity. We also have age. Patients who are 65 or older or less than four years old have an increased risk for cardiotoxicity. Duration of chemotherapy is also a risk factor. So the longer patients are on cardiotoxic agents, the increased risk for cardiotoxicity. Comorbid cardiac risk factors is also a consideration. So for patients who have hypertension, diabetes, obesity, they would be at an increased risk for cardiotoxicity. 
Concomitant treatment with chemotherapies, um, as we'll see, there are multiple agents that can be used uh, simultaneously or one after the other, and these medications can increase the risk for cardiotoxicity. Chest wall radiation, female gender, as well as infusion rates. Shorter infusion rates are associated with higher risk for cardiotoxicity versus those who that are longer. The classification of cardiotoxicity is stratified into two types, type 1 and type 2. Type 1 cardiotoxicity is associated with cardiomyocyte death. It's known to be irreversible and have an earlier onset. Type 2 cardiotoxicity is associated with cardiomyocyte dysfunction. It may possibly be reversible, and it typically has a later onset. To diagnose and detect cardiotoxicity, we have a few options. So first we have echocardiogram. Next we have cardiac magnetic resonance. We have multiple gated acquisition scans, as well as the monitoring of cardiac markers, including troponin and natriuretic peptides. And this brings us to our first knowledge check. Please feel free to use the Poll Everywhere app or um, pull up the website. And so KW is a 42-year-old female with breast cancer who received radiation following a lumpectomy. She has a past medical history of diabetes, hypertension, and depression. What cardiotoxicity risk factors are present for KW? A, gender, hypertension, and radiation. B, age, gender, and hypertension. C, age, hypertension, and surgery. Or D, depression, gender, and radiation. Yes, the correct answer is A, uh, gender, hypertension, and radiation. So she is a female, which is going to put her at a uh, increased risk. Hypertension is also a cardiac risk factor that she has, and as well as that chest wall radiation. She's 42 years old, um, and so she's outside of that range of 65 years or older or less than four years old, and also um, depression and surgery are not associated with cardiotoxicity. Now let's explore causative agents. So we have a number of causative agents um, that may cause cardiotoxicity. This includes agents, probably our most well-known agents include anthracyclines as well as our HER2 receptor antagonists. But it is important to know that there are, at this point, a multitude of agents, um, chemotherapy agents that are associated with cardiotoxicity. But for the purposes of today, I will be focusing on anthracyclines as well as HER2 agents. So anthracyclines are a non-cell cycle specific chemotherapy agent that has a dose dependent type one cardiotoxicity. There's an additional cardiotoxic effect found with cyclophosphamide, paclitaxel, or trastuzumab. And there's an incidence in doxorubicin specifically a 35% risk of heart failure at 400, 400 milligrams per meter squared or 18 to 48% risk of heart failure in patients receiving 700 milligrams per meter squared. So we have our anthracyclines here. They include doxorubicin, epirubicin, idorubicin, donorubicin, and mitoxantro. Anthracyclines are a widely used chemotherapy class and they're used in a number of um, uh, diseases, disease states. This includes our hematologic malignancies as well as our solid tumors. Anthracyclines are topoisomerase II inhibitors and they also intercalate with DNA strands. Topoisomerase II is used in DNA replication and they prevent the supercoiling of DNA strands. 
There are two isoenzymes of topoisomerase too, alpha and beta, with alpha being the most prevalent, and they're seen more often in our highly proliferative cells. As anthracycline is given, we see that it binds to topoisomerase 2 alpha on the cancer cells, and this leads to DNA strand breaks that ultimately cause cancer cell death and a reduction in disease. Alternatively, anthracyclines have an effect in cardiomyocytes. So topoisomerase 2 beta is present on cardiomyocytes. And as anthracyclines are given, there's a binding to topoisomerase 2 beta, as well as the formation of anthracycline iron complexes. This leads to DNA strand breaks and the formation of free oxygen radicals, leading to the destruction of cardiomyocytes and decrease in cardiac function. So the onset of cardiotoxicity is something that is important to understand. As patients receive chemotherapy, we may see in hours to days to weeks a more acute uh, cardiotoxic effect. So patients may experience uh, arrhythmias, um, shortness of breath, and acute symptoms. And so this is due to myocardial cell injury and then myocardial deformation. After time progresses, we see an asymptomatic cardiotoxicity, and in years, an overt cardiotoxicity. HER2 receptor antagonists are targeted anti-tumor agents that show a type 2 cardiotoxicity. So this is associated with a more reversible cardiotoxicity. There's an additional effect seen with anthracyclines, cyclophosphamide, and other HER2 agents. In trastuzumab, there's a 27% increased incidence when used in combination with anthracyclines and cyclophosphamide. In the HERA-A trial, this was a trial that assessed the use of trastuzumab at one or two years versus observation. And as we can see, there was an increased risk of cardiotoxicity associated with trastuzumab in, uh, at a longer uh, courses of treatment versus observation. So our HER2 agents include trastuzumab, pertuzumab, lapatinib, adotrastuzumab and tansine, and famtrastuzumab derexican, these last two being our antibody drug conjugates. These agents are widely used in breast cancer, but there are indications in gastric cancer as well. HER2 receptor antagonists. Uh, so HER2 receptors are present on the cell surfaces, and they are associated with angiogenesis and uh, cancer cell replication. So as our agents bind to our HER2 receptors uh, with our monoclonal antibodies preventing dimerization or intracellularly uh, hepatinib preventing downstream signaling, we have destruction of the cancer cell and ultimately a reduction in disease. Alternatively, for the cardiotoxicity mechanism, the mechanism is widely unknown, but the thought of the mechanism is as these agents are binding to the HER2 cell receptors, there's this, once again, this production of free oxygen radicals that leads to cardiomyocyte cell death and a reduction in cardiac function. And so this leads us to our second knowledge check. KW's breast cancer was treated with dose-dense AC followed by T, a regimen consisting of doxorubicin, cyclophosphamide, and paclitaxel. Which agents may contribute to future cardiotoxicity? A, doxorubicin, B, doxorubicin and paclitaxel, D, C, doxorubicin and cyclophosphamide, or D, all of the above? So the correct answer is D, all of the above. 
Um, although I mentioned doxorubicin being an anthracycline that is for sure associated with cardiotoxicity, its use in combination with paclitaxel or cyclophosphamide does increase the risk for cardiotoxicity. So now let's go into cardiotoxicity management. So the 2020 AHA guidelines set monitoring parameters for anthracyclines and HER2 agents. They recommend patients with a ejection fraction less than 40%, these agents be avoided altogether unless there's just no other option for them. Prior to initial treatment for patients with anth receiving anthracyclines, they should receive a cardio-oncologic evaluation. And this will include an echo, an ECG, monitoring of blood pressure, lipid panel, as well as blood glucose. Cardiac markers should also be obtained at baseline. For patients receiving doxorubicin, 250 milligrams per meter squared or greater, or epirubicin, 600 milligrams per meter squared or greater, prior to each cycle, they should undergo a cardio-oncologic evaluation. On these subsequent cycles, there's no need for any additional metabolic uh, monitoring. After each cycle, patients should receive uh, troponins. For patients receiving a cumulative dose of doxorubicin less than 250 milligrams per meter squared or epirubicin 600 milligrams per meter squared plus risk factors, and I have them listed below. This includes age 60 or greater, metastinal radiotherapy, previous heart disease, or two or more of the following, smoking, hypertension, diabetes, dyslipidemia, chronic renal insufficiency, or obesity. These patients should receive troponin monitoring after each cycle. Long-term evaluation for patients should occur at the end of treatment, six months, one year, two years, and periodically thereafter. For patients receiving HER2 receptor antagonist, prior to initial treatment, should undergo a cardio-oncologic evaluation as well as cardiac markers. If they're positive for risk factors, they should undergo a cardio-oncologic evaluation every three months. And this is mainly for that echo um, that patients would need to see for monitoring. After each cycle, they should also undergo troponin monitoring. Patients negative for risk factors should still undergo a cardio-oncologic evaluation every three months. Long-term evaluation here is also for end of treatment, six months, one year, two years, and periodically. Anthracycline cumulative dose limits are vital in the management and prevention of cardiotoxicity. Doxorubicin has been widely studied and associated with cardiotoxicity, and so we have the max recommended dose listed here, 450 to 550 milligrams per meter squared. Many of the other anthracyclines ranges have been derived from this initial doxorubicin recommended max dose, and so one may ask, where did this parameter come from? And so this would be found in Von Hoff and colleagues. So Von Hoff and colleagues did uh, an evaluation, and what they found was when patients received 500 to 500 milligrams, 500 to 550 milligrams per meter squared of doxorubicin, they were at a 5% increased risk for uh, heart failure. And so this helped us establish our end parameter. Swain and colleagues occurred. And what they found in their study was when patients received doxorubicin at doses 450 milligrams per meter squared, it was associated with 5% incidence of heart failure. And so this is where we come up with our range for doxorubicin. I have listed here dose conversions between 
each anthracycline. Dr. You'll see Dr. Rubison is kind of our reference range at one. And if you, you know, look into it, you'll see many different reference ranges that are available online. And so this was a reference range I included for Bajan and colleagues. And what they found was in patients who received the same doses of uh, Dr. Rubin and Donna Rubison, there was uh, half of the incidence of cardiotoxicity in the Donna Rubison. So you may see Dr. Rubison and Donna Rubison elsewhere listed as one-to-one, -one, whereas they found 0 0.5 to one. So dextrazoxane is an iron chelating cardioprotective agent. It reduces incidence and severity of cardiotoxicity, and it's indicated in breast cancer patients with metastatic disease, but it's recommended when patients will be receiving 300 milligrams per meter squared or greater of doxorubicin. It's dosed in a 10 to 1 ratio of dexrazoxane to doxorubicin. And of note, it's also using anthracycline extravasation, and it's dosed com completely different in that indication and under a different brand name. So the mechanism of action for dextrazoxane, so it's rapidly uh, uptakes into the cardiomyocyte. And as we can see, it will bind to topoisomerase 2 and also prevent anthracyclines uh, from forming those anthracycline iron complexes. So this binding to topoisomerase 2 um, on the cardiomyocyte, preventing this anthracyclic function would lead to preservation of the cardiomyocyte as well as pre preservation of cardiac function. So this leads us to a trial that looked at the effect of dextrazoxane on myocardial injury in children with ALL. It was a multi-center randomized trial with patients with newly diagnosed and previously untreated ALL. They excluded patients who had standard risk or anterior, anterior mediastinal masses, and they evaluated patients' elevation of cardiac troponin T. So patients were randomized to a doxorubicin or a doxorubicin plus dexrazoxane arm. And what they found was an increase in cardiac troponin T in the patients who did not receive dexrazoxane. And they found in extreme increases in cardiac troponin T in patients also who did not receive dexrazoxane. And I have the parameters listed below. Limitations for this study included no long-term cardiac effect analysis, as well as no assessment on the effect of efficacy. And this is important because there's a proposed thought for dextrazoxane that dextrazoxane, due to its mechanism of action, could also lead to an anti-tumor suppression as well as secondary malignancies. So this anti-tumor suppression is, I have depicted here. So as anthracyclines are trying to work in cancer cells, we see that dextrazoxane, the thought is dextrazoxane may inhibit this action and also bind to topoisomerase on cancer cells. And this would lead into a progression of disease. So a study was conducted. It was a cardioprotection and safety of dextrazoxane for pediatric patients with T-cell acute lymphoblastic leukemia or lymphoblastic non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It was a single center randomized trial. They excluded patients who were previously treated and they looked at cardioprotective efficacy as well as event-free survival and safety. Patients are randomized to receive standard treatment, which included doxorubicin or standard treatment plus dextrazoxane. And what they found was an increase of cardiac troponin markers in the patients who did not receive dextrazoxane, a decrease in uh, cardiac dysfunction, but they found uh, not too much of a difference between the event-free survival and secondary malignancies. 
Some of the limitations for this were just the long, lack of long-term echo data for those who were lost to follow-up. So some of the considerations for dextrozoxane, we have patient population. Dextrozoxane is FDA approved in breast cancer patients who are, who are receiving uh, prolonged anthracycline therapy, but it's not widely used. And so we do see dextrozoxane more used in pediatric patients. Also anthracycline dose is a consideration. So in those patients who are with breast cancer who would be receiving continued anthracyclines, it's indicated specifically in those receiving 300 milligrams per meter squared or greater. But what we will see in pediatric patients, they may start this up front at baseline for patients. So we're not necessarily waiting on a certain dose for patients. And then lastly is the timing. Dextrozoxane should be given 30, mil 30 minutes prior to anthracycline dose. So next we have liposomal doxorubicin. Liposomes have difficulty leaving vascular space in the heart because of tight junctions in the capillaries. And because of this, accumulation in the heart is limited, leading to a reduced risk of cardiotoxicity. Liposomes reach high concentrations at the site of tumor, and they have, and liposomal doxorubicin has similar curative effect as doxorubicin when with decreased incidence of cardiotoxicity. The CAPRICE trial was a trial that looked at cardiac safety outcomes of pegylated liposomal doxorubicin in elderly patients with breast cancer. It was a phase two multi-center single arm trial. They included patients with invasive breast cancer as well as cardiotoxicity risk factors. They excluded patients who had an MI in the past six months, an ejection fraction less than 45% and severe heart failure as well as metastatic disease. Endpoints included a decrease in left ventricular ejection fraction and five-year overall survival. Patients in this trial received pegylated liposomal doxorubicin plus cyclophosphamide every four weeks for 16 weeks, followed by weekly paclitaxel for 12 weeks. What they found was no significant decreases in left ventricular ejection fraction and five-year over overall survival of 56%. Some of the limitations for this trial, there was no comparator arm, and also 88% of the patients had triple negative disease, which is associated with poor outcomes and could have had an effect on that five-year overall survival. And I have the ejection fractions that were found in this trial. As we can see from baseline to five-year follow-up, there was not a great difference between those. Lastly, I have uh, ACE inhibitors, ARBs, and beta blockers, and these are used for prevention and treatment of cardiotoxicity. Their use is recommended in an ejection fraction less than 50%, but greater than or equal to 40% prior to treatment. They can be considered in patients exposed to multiple cardiotoxic agents with normal ejection fraction and cardiovascular risk factors. The OVERCOME trial included enalapril and carvedilol for preventing left ventricular systolic dysfunction and malignant hemopathies. It was a randomized trial that included patients with an ejection fracture greater than or equal to 50% and patients with acute leukemia and stem cell transplant patients with refractory or relapse, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, Hodgkin's lymphoma, or multiple myeloma. They excluded patients with congestive heart failure, prior MI, or coronary disease. Endpoints included six-month change in left ejection fraction, left ventricular ejection fraction from baseline, death, heart failure, or significant left ventricular systolic dysfunction. Patients were randomized into two groups. We had a group that did not receive any intervention, 
and we had patients who received enalapril or carvedilol starting 24 hours prior to the start of chemo. And it was increased gradually every three to six days to the target doses listed. What they found was a left ventricular ejection fraction decrease in the patients who did not receive uh, intervention with the beta blocker or the ACE inhibitor, and an increase in death, heart failure, or left ventricular systolic dysfunction in the patients with no intervention. Limitations included these patients, it was a non-blinded trial as well as there was no placebo. There are additional management strategies available. We can hold offending agents for patients. Um, in HER2 uh, receptor antagonists, these patients can hold therapy and there should be a resolution in symptoms in one to three months and patients should be able to be restarted from there. Also sequential administration of anthracycline and HER2 receptor antagonists. It's been shown that patients should receive anthracyclines first and then HER2 receptor antagonists after to, re to reduce the chances of cardiotoxicity. Alternative, alternative anthracyclines are also an option to doxorubicin. Doxorubicin is just very well established to cause cardiotoxicity. So there is the option to use an alternative anthracycline, but to keep in mind the fact that there may not be evidence in that specific disease state to make that type of switch. Also, we can prolonged doxorubicin infusion. So doxorubicin can be given over 10 minutes or so, um, but these, these shorter infusions are associated with a higher risk in cardiotoxicity. So we can extend the doxorubicin infusion anywhere from 48 to 96 hours. The only thing to keep in mind here is patients may, will need a central line for that versus a peripheral line that could be given with a shorter infusion. And then lastly, discontinuation of the agent um, outright. And this leads us to our last knowledge check. So KW will receive trastuzumab for her HER2 positive disease. Prior to her first cycle, her echo revealed a uh, ejection fraction decreased to 47%. What management strategy should be implemented? A, initiate dexazoxane prior to treatment. B, initiate enalapril and carvedilol prior to treatment. C, switch to maintenance pertuzumab or D, prolonged trastuzumab infusion? Okay, so the correct answer is B. We would initiate enalapril or carvedil and carvedilol prior to treatment. We wouldn't initiate dextrazoxane. Dextrazoxane is not used for HER2 agents. It's used specifically in anthracyclines. We also wouldn't switch to maintenance pertuzumab. Uh, pertuzumab is also a HER2 agent associated with cardiotoxicity. And there isn't evidence that shows prolonged trastuzumab infusion will reduce cardiotoxicity, but that is an option in doxorubicin. So future directions for the management of cardiotoxicity. The use of statins are under investigation in small trials. There's a retrospective cohort study of breast cancer patients who had a lower risk of heart failure um, in their statin-exposed women. So this could support the development of future randomized controlled trials to really establish that association and the use of statins. And then also there's been ongoing evaluations by cardio-oncologic governing bodies in the US and in Europe uh, with even as much as recently as last month, a few weeks ago, there was a cardio-oncologic guideline that was published in Europe. So in summary, cardiotoxicity encompasses multiple clinical manifestations 
Chemotherapy-induced cardiomyopathy is a gradual process causing an asymptomatic decrease in left ventricular, left ventricular ejection fraction. Anthracyclines and HER2 receptor antagonists are chemotherapy agents responsible for cardiomyopathy, but we do have a number of chemotherapy agents that also cause cardiotoxicity. And multiple management strategies are available, including FDA-approved dextrazoxane. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe using iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Thank you for listening to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds. Join us weekly for more exciting clinical pharmacology topics. Thank you.